0: One of those weeks where my prayer is that the message can do justice to the text. Um, just what a great text that's got the fullness of the gospel in it. And really this entire series of Always Only Jesus, uh, I know everyone, like when they hear Colossians, everyone tells me, I love Colossians 3, 1 through 3. But really the entire crux of this entire series rests here in these verses, Always only Jesus, that Jesus is supreme. It has really been a joy to see uh, all that God's at work and doing. And just to give you an update, uh, continue to pray um, that God has been beyond generous as people continue to invest in what God is doing here at the church and making it possible to purchase this property and then have some planned renovations to expand the ministry opportunities, to engage in the community. We're still praying for wind insurance, and so still continue to pray for that. I will tell you, we haven't gotten a no from the big hitters of Lloyds and Amwins and people like that. They're continuing to ask questions and work on the process, and so that's your update on where we are there. If you would join me, let's ask God's presence uh, to be in this message. Um, God, I pray that as we come into this message, Lord, that we step into you. Um, God, throughout Colossians, it tells us that we should be in Christ Jesus, And so, Lord, I pray that we can just, in this moment, Lord, step into you, that we can be in your presence, that, God, that you will speak into this moment. Um, God, I'm so thankful that what's more important than the words that I say are what you are going to speak to each and every individual heart that is here. And so, God, I pray that people have ears to hear not what I say but what you say. And so, God, through your filter, um, that, God, through your fullness, through the completion of the gospel, we have in our text today, God, I pray that you are at work in all this. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one thing that, you know, we just see so much in our culture is people take bits and pieces of truth, and they use that to transform a story. And, and I wouldn't say that I'm responsible for fake news, but I, I did do this one time, and I'm disappointed, actually, that my brother-in-law, Gannon, who normally sits right up here, is not here today because... Um, it's kind of a joke that I, prayed, I played on him. Um, the reason why Ganon's not here is his dad had a pretty serious heart attack on Friday. His name is Arnie, so if you could be praying for uh, Gannon's father. Um, they do live in Suntree, and so he's at homes right now. Um, so be praying for Gannon, his family, his father Arnie this week. And so I wish that Gannon was here so I could kind of razz him a little bit. He's my brother-in-law, so I can do that. And, and I did this. I took bits and pieces of real information to kind of come up with a story just to mess with them. Uh, he wasn't engaged to MJ yet. They had just started dating. Um, they came to Ohio for a little bit. We were living there, and he was staying with me. And so I, I looked online, and I picked uh, just some random person out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, because I used to drive through Fort Wayne all the time going to a seminary in Chicago. So I picked this random person, looked him up. I like Googled like top 100 business owners, um, and I found a guy that was single. And I concocted this entire story, and I started emailing Gannon and said, hey, I would love to bring you in town for a weekend. Um, And so Gannon's emailing back, and he's like, Okay, well, let me have you talk to my business manager, which, by the way, that was my wife at the time, and she was kind of in on this, and so I said, yeah, I would love to have you come in for a weekend and, and just, um, you know, spend some time with me for the weekend. He's like, well, I do basketball training. I'm like, I understand you do basketball training, but I'm not really able to play. I enjoy watching your videos, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing Gannon and MJ have these conversations at the dinner table of like, what is going on? This guy just wants me to come and hang out for the weekend, but not train him in basketball. And I increasingly made it creepier. I was like, emailing back and saying things like, well, I was thinking we could just go out, do dinner and a movie sometime. And then MG's like, Gannon, you're not doing this. You're never coming back from this. You know, like, I don't care how much money it is. You're not going to do this. I upped it one more time, and I was just like, hey, to save some cost, um, would it be okay if you just like stayed at my house for the weekend and, and, uh. And they're at my dinner table, like, as this thing progresses over the weekend. And he's, and Gannon's like, man, it's a lot of money. Like, I don't even have to work out. Like, this is going to be easy. i just going to hang out with the dude. She's like, no, you're not doing this. And I finally was like, Gannon, like, what's the guy's email address? And he had never looked at the email address. And his email address was gannonbakerlover at gmail.com. And then Angie and I just started cracking up laughing and it was like, come on, man, we're just messing with you. Like, you know, but, but I had enough truth into it that he Googled the guy and found out, no, this guy like owns his business and like, I think this is real. I took a little bit of the truth and mixed it with a little bit of a lie um, in order to mess with my brother-in-law. What we see here in Colossians is the same thing that's taking place. They take a little bit of the truth which is Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and they mix it with a little bit of a lie to come up with a new truth, a different truth that was counter to the truth. And and so all of a sudden it's the same Jesus, but it's a different perspective. And the reason why this text in Colossians is so important to, to us right now is because we see the same thing happening in a thousand different ways. You know, they were taking Jesus who died on the cross for our sins through grace, and they were adding some Jewish legalism to it. They were bringing in uh, some of the the Greek mystics and the gods in different areas like that, some Oriental uh, perspectives. And they were taking all these different things and mixing it with Jesus, and they were bringing what they call in Scripture many times a false gospel, a false prophet, a false teaching. And so that's specifically what this text is written to, this entire book of Colossians. And we've kind of been building up on the groundwork up until this point to get to this moment. Now, Paul, the author of Colossians, also wrote two different letters to the church in Corinth. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you have received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And once again, like, we get it. Like, it's it's a difficult thing when you come across people, and this happened to me actually just this past week, having a conversation with a person and you know, it's kind of gets said, well, as long as you believe in something, and I kind of listened to him and talked to him, and I eventually, I said, you know, that's one thing that I probably disagree on is I think that it's always only Jesus, that it's not just believing in something, but it's believing in the one who can do something about it, and we begin to have a conversation in love, not through criticism, but but in love, and so this is kind of the core of people have these different perspectives of Jesus. And I think for some people it's like, there's Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was crucified and was resurrected to life and lives today as Lord Supreme over my life and because of that I must do something about it. Or there's Jesus. Like yeah, there's Jesus. I heard a story of a thief who um, broke into a house late one night, he knew the people were out of town and he's got his flashlight and he's kinda trying to look around And he hears a voice that says, I see you, and so does Jesus. And he's like, "Uh, what's going on? So he's got his flashlight. He's looking around. He hears it again. I see you, and so does Jesus. He's like, what in the world? The third time he hears where it's coming from, he takes his flashlight and shines on it. And he guess what it was? Can you guess what it was? A parrot. It was a parrot. The parrot was saying, I see you, and so does Jesus. And he goes, oh, it's Jesus can see me. And then all of a sudden, his light shines a little lower, and he sees a large Rottweiler. And on its name tag, in gold said, Jesus. (laughs) At that point, the parrot says, attack, Jesus, attack. (laughs) And I think it's just that reality of like, you know, it's like, okay, like we believe that there's Jesus, but... You know, is it real? Is he really someone that I must live my life for? Is, is Jesus someone that I'm going to put my entire faith and life, and in, invest into him alone? And that's this text today is the challenge of what it means for us when Jesus is supreme. A lot of people have a different view of Jesus. Today we're going to really define who does the Bible and specifically the New Testament say that Jesus Christ is has always been, is today, and will always be. So thank you for getting us into the text, Kyle, but we're going to kind of dig apart verse by verse here. If you've got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. If you've got the app, one thing that's different about the app notes, I can put in a lot of the the text that I can't put onto the paper notes, and so you can always reference back to the app and, and get the notes for today. Verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He has existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So after our polite introduction so far in Colossians 1, you know, he starts off, grace and peace to you, that you're all the saints, you're the faithful brethren of today. He says, I'm thanking God for your faith that is vibrant that you've heard the gospel. It's evidence based upon your lives and the church that you are. You have hope in the future. He says you guys as a church are, are bearing fruit. You're, you're continuing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then giving this short little list, last week we went over of kind of how Paul says that we should pray for one another, that you would be filled with knowledge as well as wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might be worthy to walk of the Lord, um, fully pleasing to him. Now Paul gets down to the business. He says in verse 20, we're going to see the fullness. He's going to get down to the fullness. This is really, really the nitty gritty of this entire book. You know, he says, look, there are false teachers all among you. Here's what you need to know about Jesus. Jesus is supreme. There is no higher. He is the first. He is the firstborn. He is the most prominent. He's not a second-rate emanation, which is what the Gnostic gospel of that town was teaching. And I shared this in week one, that Jesus was an emanation that was closer to God And not as far as God is the material world, he was this phantom in between. And that they taught in this town that when Jesus walked on the sand, he wouldn't even leave footsteps because he wasn't quite fully man. He was more like God. So they're taking a little bit of truth and they're mixing in some falseness. And the reason why they're doing this is because agnostic means, well, I don't know. Gnostic, which they didn't call themselves Gnostic teachers. That came out about 150 years later. The Gnostics are like, oh, well, I know the truth. And maybe you've met people like that who even do that with Jesus. Oh, well, that's cute that you go to that church. But, you know, at our church, we really got it all figured out. We know that you've got to be able to do this and do that. And then, you know, if God does this, then you're really a Christian. And that's kind of that same vein that Paul's speaking against here. And that's why our series is simple. What is it? Always, only, Jesus. It's that simple. We don't have to make it harder than that. And so we're going to continue to dig in that in this book and see what that means. The supreme message of the entire Bible is and always should be only Jesus. That if you go back to Genesis, in the very beginning, you immediately have a prediction That the seed of the woman is going to come and destroy the head of the serpent one day. All the way in the very beginning, it was prophesied and predicted that the Messiah would come. God in flesh would come to fix the problem that we caused. You continue to read through the historical books and you see the longing for the Messiah. The looking for the one that would come to save. As you go through the prophets, they predict what he will do, what he will be like, what to expect, how to be able to recognize who the Messiah really is going to be, all those prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from his birth to his life to his death and his resurrection. And then as you get to the New Testament, well, the first four books is the life of Jesus, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to know how to spend time with Jesus, just open up the book of John and walk with him. And hear him share his stories of his life. Then we continue into the book of Acts. And we see as people take the message of Jesus into all kinds of different places around the world. And then we get in the epistles, the the letters, these books that we're in, like Colossians. And we see the instruction manuals for not just the individual, but the church that Jesus Christ created. We didn't come up with the church and say, well, I guess... At this point, we've got to find a way to be organized. No, Jesus came up with this idea of bringing together the assembly of believers that we could come together in the name of Christ for the sake of our community around us. That is why Jesus is where this all begins. In fact, it says in Luke 24 that Jesus said to them, You foolish people! You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? This is him in his resurrected state speaking to people. He says in verse 27, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was the fulfillment of it all. If you're taking notes, we're gonna go over the reasons why in this text alone, it tells us that Jesus Christ is always supreme. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. He is the revealer of the Father. He is the revealer of God the Father. So verse 15, it says, he, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. That's Paul's opening-like thesis statement for this. He looks at that and says ladies and gentlemen I present to you the one and only who makes the invisible visible the god that you can never see look at him in Jesus Christ he is god in the flesh in 1 Timothy Paul writes He, Jesus alone, is immortal and dwells in inapproachable, oh, I'm sorry, let me back that up. He, who is God, is alone and is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him, who is God, nor can see him, who is God. To him be honor and eternal dominion, who is Jesus Christ. He says, we can't see God, who is in the inapproachable light, but in Christ, we can see who is unable to be seen. John does a good job in chapter 1 in the beginning of his book. It says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, you can look at Jesus Christ. All right, if how many people can actually say that they've been into a dark room and developed film? Who's, who's done that? See a picture here of a red room, a dark room. Quite a few hands have gone up. Our high school had a, a room that you would go in, like a big metal door that was circular so it never let light inside. And it was fun to go in there, and we learned how you can take this image. And so, you know, back in the day, for anybody who's younger than me, you might not understand this, um, you would take film. And it would be exposed to light and then captured, and you would take it out. And as you would go through this pretty extensive process of bringing an invisible image to the place where you could see it, you would add the different things of developer and fixer and stop bath. And I mean, it really was a really difficult process. And eventually, you would begin to see this image. That was not visible and all of a sudden it was really amazing to watch right in front of your eyes you would see this image begin to form and i know our wedding was actually shot on film like it was at that edge there 19 years ago when people were kind of starting to transition to digital but our wedding was on film and it was kind of fun because you're like well i hope our pictures look good we'll find out in a few weeks you know and and what we have here with jesus is he's done that. He is the developed image of the invisible God. He has taken what we cannot see. And for the fulfillment of the prophecy, he has made it visible. Watch the image you could not see before come into light. And when it comes into the light, you'll be able to see it in all of its clarity. Jesus Christ is the developed picture of God the Father. It says in John 14, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to us, show us the Father? You see, we know that Jesus is supreme because he reveals to us the Father. He allows us to see the invisible image. Uh, I love the way that Hebrews says it. That it sums us all up. It says, Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus. God promised everything to the Son, who is Jesus, as an inheritance through the Son, who is. All right, so we'll make sure we're all on the same page. He, who is God, created the universe. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory, expresses the very character of God. He, who is Jesus, sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he, Jesus, sat down. And the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows us the son, Jesus, is far greater than the angels. Just as the name God gave him, Jesus, is greater than their names. The reason why these are similar but different and also necessary is because Paul, in this case, is writing to the city that is dealing with the Gnostic teachings. What he's doing here in Hebrews 1 is he's specifically addressing the Jewish Hebrew people and their understanding of Jesus to give us this image of Jesus Christ and who he is. So if you ever, people ask me this question, how do you know that God is loving? Because our world can be a pretty difficult place, true. But if you want to know if God is loving, read the Gospels. And you'll see God in the flesh Caring for the little children, saying, Come to me, for greater is the kingdom of God in the faith of a child. If you want to know if God is loving, look at the way that He reached out to the person that was bleeding their whole life, the person that no one else would touch, the leper that no one else would touch. He physically touched those that no one else would touch. If you want to know if God is loving, just look at the life of Jesus Christ. People ask me all the time, Well, how do you know that God is forgiving? And I say, look at the life of Jesus Christ. He was the one that would forgive people and say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know who God is like, just go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the life of Jesus. And then read the rest of the New Testament to explain to you the incredible depth of who God is as he was made visible to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He is, it says here in our text in Colossians, he is the image. It doesn't say that he is an image. Now I'm an Ohio State guy, so I'm pretty accept, uh, you know, I like the word the, you know, but I will tell you that Ohio State probably shouldn't have gotten the copyright, even though they tried. But the only person who would deserve that would be the image of God. There is not multiple different images, and we get to pick and choose which one we want. It tells us in this text, the declaration, that Jesus Christ is the image of God. There is no other image. Jesus Christ was the only one who was able to be the image of God. He's the exact representation. The actual word there, if you want to translate it from the Greek, would be icon. He is the exact representation of God. If we want to know God or get to know God, we can spend time with Jesus We continue in this text. It says that he is supreme over all creation. Now, a lot of you, maybe the King James Version, New King James Version, you grew up reading this, and it said that he was firstborn over all creation. How many people here are firstborns? All right, so firstborns are lucky because you typically get the new clothes, you get the bigger room, you know. Mom and Dad typically you get to drive first, so you get the better car. Like you know, when you're first born, you typically get the better, right? I see some people smiling pretty big. I think they're firstborns, so and like, yep, that's exactly how it was. Um, unfortunately, in my house, my ten year old's bigger than my twelve year old, so that whole like clothing kind of got messed up. Um, but in general, firstborns get more opportunity and more responsibility. But when it says in this case that he is the firstborn, it's not talking in chronological order. He's talking in forms of supremacy. We actually can see in scripture that the firstborn in scripture is not always the first to be born. Um, We go back a few different times in scripture, including Joseph had two sons. And it was his secondborn, Ephraim, that it says in the Bible, God says, because I am Israel's father, Ephraim is my firstborn. And he was given the rights of the firstborn son. And that's the reference that it's making here in Scripture is that he is supreme. He is first. He does get the best. He is the one that has the authority. It's in chronological order, not, or it's in supremacy, not in chronological order that God is speaking to here. That's what he's making. One thing that we don't speak very often of at Rock Harbor is that we are a church that does look at some of the creeds that we've had in the history of the church. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. The reason why the Nicene Creed was given out in 325 AD was specifically because of this issue of, is God first and supreme? So here's how they wrote it 1,700 years ago. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father. You see, they were trying to be very clear with their image and very clear with their language that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, one God. It's not multiple gods, it's one God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Jesus is supreme. If you're taking notes, another way is this. He is the creator of the world. It says in verse 16, For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, which is Jesus, and for him. For Jesus. Three times in this text it mentions creation. Paul mentions that he's the creator. He mentions creation. We see it three times in this text and really what he's trying to get us to understand here is we're big and we think we're really important but when you put it in context we're really not that big. Now, I love the fact that God tells us that we were made on purpose and for a purpose. But if we look at just the the grandeur of God's universe, I've got a picture here that just, um, I don't know if this picture is even real. It's just so amazing. But there was a time that we were camping up on a mountain in California, not far from where our church was there. And it was just the only time in my life that we could just stand there and actually see like the cloud of the Milky Way. It's just a breathtaking thing. And we do have some great stars being here by the coast, better than up in the north. But what we saw on top of that mountain was just absolutely breathtaking. If you ever think that you're the most important thing in the world, just go stand outside at night and look at the grandeur of God's creation. And that's what this text is reminding us, is how grand our God is. How big and powerful our God is. But also the opposite can be a reminder. I love the book, Dr. Seuss's Horton Hears a Who. And if you know this story, it's when all of a sudden this giant elephant is holding a flower and there's a speck on the flower and he hears someone calling out from it. And all of a sudden, a a person that's part of this entire world that's onside the speck realizes there's something bigger out there. And, and all of a sudden, the, the big elephant realized that there's something really precious that it is in charge of taking care of. And we see this truth that we can understand that, that we are just so small in the midst of God's great creation. Now, I don't want to go too crazy on the science stuff, but I really enjoy it. So just give me a moment. There's another picture here that the pale blue dot, uh, Nate actually uh, called exactly what this was. In 1990, the satellite Voyager 2, was going so far from earth, they said, I don't think we can get any more transmissions. It was sending pictures it was taking as it was soaring out into the universe. And they said, hey, let's turn around and let's shoot a picture towards the earth. And in fact, when they first took the picture and they looked at it, they said, we missed it. You know, I thought that it was there. They actually put it onto like a movie theater-sized screen, and they were on ladders, and they were climbing around trying to see if they could see something there. And finally, a person found what's known as the pale blue dot. And within the grandeur of the entire universe, they found the earth on one pixel on the midst of like 10,000 pixels. And all of a sudden, they just said, man, look At how grand this universe is. Jesus declares, I am the creator of all of that. I am the beginner, sustainer of all of it. That in him all things were made, and beyond that, through him, all things continue to be sustained. The next picture kind of gives us a glimpse on this idea that, like, you know, that we're bigger than we really are. If you see the earth here, I think you probably know that that's not quite uh, the correct ratio. In fact, if you know that the sun is pretty massive, it's 109 times the diameter of our earth. And if the sun was hollowed out, it could hold 1.39 million earths inside of it. You see, this is how great our God is. That he, it says in this text, that Jesus put this all into place. All this was done in Jesus and through Jesus. And if you think that's great, we continue to explore God's amazing creation. And we have found even bigger suns than our sun. This next p- picture shows you if Betelgeuse was in the middle of our universe. How it would dwarf like almost our entire system and our constellation right here. That Betelgeuse can actually have six Hundred trillion earths inside of it. It could have 446,000 of our suns inside of that star. You see, that is how great and powerful our God is. And we've also learned that there are billions and billions of other galaxies just all around that we get to continue to explore the grandeur of our God. Now, I'll admit to you, I've discovered that some people actually turn off from the gospel the moment a pastor mentions the word creation. It can become this like tension point for people. And that goes back to my original challenge of, do we believe that God is the God who created and sustained all things? It's one thing to say that he came and, and he lived on earth, but do we believe that? And that's what this text is challenging us on is to come and understand that this is how grand our God is. He's not just Jesus, but he is Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And that we can understand that God continues to speak to us in these ways. And that is the third point. I've I've already mentioned it a few times. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe, As you look at verse 17, it says, And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. That he's eternal. And here's the point that I will challenge you. Sorry, this carpet's tripping me up. Um, Here's what's so great, and this is our stance as a church. That if you are a young earth creationist like me, are you a person that believes that God is so grand and powerful that he was able to work over a 14 billion year process in order to put together this exact moment in time? We believe that in all of that, that's what this text says. Guess what? If you go back 6,000 years ago, guess who's in charge? God. If you go back 10,000 years ago, guess who is in charge? God. If you go back 14 billion years ago, Guess who is in charge? God. And that's really the part that matters. So I enjoy studying all the little stuff around the science and facts of creation. How did the Grand Canyon come to form? You know, looking at fun stuff like that. The dust on the moon. It's fun stuff. You can talk to me later about it. But one thing that we will stand on is this truth. That at any moment you go back, God was in control. And Jesus was at the source of all creation because that's what the Bible says. That we go back to Father Abraham who rejoiced and he said in, in my lifetime, they said, you will be see, one generation, but your generations will be more than the, you know, the sands on the sea, the sands on the shore. It doesn't matter where we go back in that timeline that we can have our trust and faith that God was in all things. John wrote in 1 John 1, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him who is Jesus with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He wrote in the beginning of his gospel, John, in the beginning was the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. We know that God is eternal. We know that God is, has been there from the beginning, and that's the truth that we can hold on to. There was a great uh, sermon that kind of changed my whole understanding of this. Um, Louis Giglio was on tour with Chris Tomlin um, when he did his How Great Is Our God tour. And he gave a message after singing that song, and he shared all the different stars and how great God is. And then he shared something that a physicist came and shared with them at the end of one of his messages and the guy came up to him and said hey I know this is great and beautiful those are good graphics and the stars are amazing and we went really really big on how great our God is but he goes have you ever heard of laminin before and Louie's like no I've, I've never heard of laminin he's like you got to know laminin Because not just is our God so big and so grand and so great that he can create Betelgeuse and he can create these huge stars and he can put everything in motion. But it says in scripture that he is the sustainer of all things. And he goes, in modern science with the electron microscope, we have found the protein that holds all things together. That if it wasn't for this, our bodies would be glue on the floor. He says it's laminin that holds us all together. Let me show you a picture of it. And if you can pull up the picture, that's the protein that they found that holds all things together. And I'm not actually trying to be literal with this. And so please don't, like, you know, say, well, that's crazy. No, I'm being figurative in this. But it's symbolic. If you look at the next picture, it actually shows how the protein is actually put together. And we can see that in this truth, That we can hold on to this promise. And I'm not saying that there's a bunch of mini crosses inside of us that hold every cell. But I'm saying that this verse is true. That Jesus Christ is the sustainer of all things. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. And here's my message for you for all of this. If God can create things in that grandeur. And if he can hold us together even at the molecular level. Is our problems too big for him? Or are our problems too small for him? And the answer to both is no. That's the message that is in this text for us today. That when you feel like your problems are too big, walk outside and look at the grandeur of our creator. And when you feel like your problem's too small, that God doesn't care, know that God cares about holding every single one of ourselves together. That God is in all things. That he is sustaining in all things. And we know that God is there. The next thing, if you're taking notes, it says that he is the director of the church in verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Let me take an unofficial vote on the church. Who votes that God should be the head of our church? Say, yay. All right, I'm pretty sure, Bill, I think that passed. I think we're good. So he's the chair, so we'll call that. It's official. Jesus Christ is the head of his church, and he will always be the head of our church. In fact, we had the conversation when we were putting together this new diagram of our org chart of the church, and I, I actually asked Bill, I was like, should we have at the top, like, the Trinity, you know? And he goes, absolutely we should, because we don't want people to look at our church and not be reminded that Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, will always be the head of this church as he should be the head of all churches. It is his church. We didn't come up with this, it was his idea from the beginning, and he is the director of the church. The last thing, if your notes, is this it says in verse 19 For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. I'll be honest, I could spend an hour just talking about that phrase right there, but I won't. I just love that. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is the possessor of the fullness. He is the fullness of God. He is not an icon. He is not a, what was it they called him, a phantom. He is not this Somewhere in between, some of the Greeks refer to him as an eminent being. No, he's none of those things. He was Jesus Christ. God made flesh. And we became all too aware of that. When his body was beaten, his flesh was ripped open, the crown of thorns were pushed on his head, he was nailed to a wooden cross, and he cried out in pain. It wasn't something that was faked. It was very, very real. He experienced loss. He experienced the loss of a family member. He experienced probably many things that we experience, including being betrayed by a dear friend who he thought that he could trust in. He experienced all of those things so that he could be the fullness of God in flesh. It says in verse 20, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So if you're hearing this message today, don't think that God's too big. Don't think that God looks at you and think that you're too small. God cares for you in each and everything that you're going for. He is with you in the hard times, He is with you in the good times. That He is Jesus Christ, and He promised there so He will always be with us. He will never leave you, He will never forsake you. The song we're about to sing is gonna actually continue that and bring that promise in. It's called The Fullness, that's the name of the song. It says in the beginning, He's the fullness of eternal promise, stirring in your sons and daughters, earth revealing heaven's wonders. Spirit, come, Spirit, come. The good news is that Jesus Christ has always been and always will be, but he said that he would leave with us the comforter. He will leave God's spirit that could be alive in our lives. So my challenge to you today as we go to this final song is perhaps you need to accept this truth and take Jesus away from being an idea to recognizing that he's very real. He had blood and flesh. He was broken for you so that you could be made whole in Christ. Let his spirit come into your life and be first and supreme. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful that we can hold on to this truth. Thank God, when Nicodemus asked, how can I know what it's like to be born again? Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And then Jesus John gave us the simple explanation of that. When he said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus, we're so thankful that we can share that message, that we are not condemned by what we have done, but the only question that matters is who do you say that Jesus is? And so I pray today as a church that as we sing this song, that we can declare that Jesus is supreme and that maybe there's some here who need to make the decision right now. They need to decide that they are gonna make God first and foremost in their life, not the idea of God, but they're gonna put their hope in an actual God who came in flesh, who lived and died and was resurrected today. Every other person who declares that they have a belief or an idea, they've all tied and they are rested and we can go visit many of their graves. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior because he lives. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we can know that our sins are forgiven. Because he lives, we can know that he is still God. So if that is you, we invite you to come into this time and just surrender to Jesus Christ.